To give him credit, William Shakespeare was a pretty good writer, but even he couldn't have come up with more drama than we're set to see in the Premier League this week. We'll have the continuation of a nerve-shredding title race, the latest in the scramble to stay up, and a North London derby that'll help shape the short-term future of old foes Tottenham and Arsenal. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. Macbeth had three witches. I've got three visionaries of my own who will try to predict the future. Betting guru Mark O'Hare is with us once again. Mark, I want to start with that title race, actually. Big events over the weekend as Liverpool were held to a one-all draw by Spurs. Manchester City then went three points clear at the top with a better goal difference after a 5-0 win over Newcastle. We've only got three games left for each of those sides. Is it over for you or are there a few more twists and turns to come? Um, we've said long enough now, Kev, that football is football and you can never quite know what's around the corner, as we've just seen in the last week in the Champions League. It's always willing to throw up a few surprises. I did, well, I was quite adamant that um, when Liverpool and Man City played each other in, in what was described as a title decider, that um, there would still be another twist, at least, between the two teams. I would be surprised if both teams finished with a perfect record. So, I, you know, if you looked at the schedule, you would have said Liverpool's match with Spurs was probably going to be the opportunity for that to occur. Whereas Man City's schedule does look a lot more sort of serene, really, and it's difficult to see them tripping up. However, there might be an opportunity this midweek because they go to Wolves and they've got reasonable defensive issues um, for Man City. Of course, we can't sort of say that they're in defensive crisis mode because they've got so much money and such a huge budget, really. But uh, with Ruben Diaz now ruled out, Kyle Walker ruled out, um, John Stones as well, um, at least two of the, the first-choice back four are missing. Uh, the full-backs are going to need a bit of reshuffling. I know Cancelo's played and Zinchenko. You know, they're not exactly pleading poverty, really, but um, to lose basically two of your, your probably your best defenders um, will leave them a little bit more um, open and vulnerable than they possibly would normally used to be. And, and of course, Wolves are chasing a, a top seven finish, a top six finish too. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I think that might get them some sort of European qualification, possibly to the Conference League too. And the way in which they battled back against Chelsea at the weekend suggested that their season wasn't completely over either. So that is a potential banana skin going away to Molyneux. Um, however, we probably assumed that they would... Uh, find they're going a little bit tougher against Newcastle than they did after what happened in midweek and they just blew them away, didn't they? And I, I think possibly... Weird game was... that though, Mark, wasn't it? Because, you know, you look at the way Newcastle started, Chris Woods, who was supposed to be really good in the air <laughs> with the kind of header that I would have produced six yards. Out. So <laughs> they, they made a couple of early promising positions but just didn't work out for them in the end yeah and that's it defensively that there is going to be an opportunity for their opposing teams to to put them under pressure and it's not just through those injuries even in recent weeks I think there has been a uh, maybe Jake will have the data but certainly with the eye test but there's been a few more uh, slip-ups or opportunities given away to, to opposition attackers uh, and opposing teams just aren't taking those opportunities and you know, mentioned the Chris Wood chance I think he could have possibly even left it I think it was Joe Linton coming in behind him who may have been able to sort of uh, just side foot it in but uh, yeah that, that, they're just um, that, that's just a, a couple of 
potential slip-ups for new for, for Manchester City uh, this midweek against Wolves. But um, I think for all us neutrals, we're hoping for for some sort of slip-up to really make it quite exciting for those last two weeks. But if I, if I'm being honest about it, I think City win the title from here. It's it's going to be difficult to see them, um, you know, drop the drop the ball now. Odds compiler, master of the sustainable edge and Maltese amateur league champion, Mark Stinchcombe is here. Stinch, congratulations for that, first of all. Uh, He was uh, a magnificent centre-back throughout the season. Uh, Liverpool go to Villa on Tuesday in the Steven Gerrard derby and they have to win every game, don't they, and hope for favours from elsewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. Only three games to go. Um, looking at the fixture list, Liverpool, Villa away, Southampton away, who seem a little bit on the beach, and then Wolves at home. Liverpool actually played Wolves at home a few seasons ago when it, the title went to the final day, and, and that wasn't an easy game. Liverpool won two 0 but it, it, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't as easy as maybe the, the scoreline potentially suggests. And as we know, Wolves uh, have been very good defensively all season, even if they have maybe slightly overachieved at times. It's, it's you know their players they do have, especially the goalkeeper, is you know a, a good standard. City, I mean, Wolves away, then West Ham away. So two back-to-back games without without defenders or a lot of defenders missing isn't going to be easy. Um, not necessarily suggesting they might lose, but maybe they might you know might not win either or even both of those games. West Ham have been very good this season against against the better team, beating Liverpool at home, knocked City out of the League Cup, of course. And if you wonder if they had a hangover from Europe, well, I think the 4-0 win at Norwich on Sunday suggests that perhaps there isn't a hangover there. So, yeah, maybe it could still go down to the final day. City have got a Villa at home final day. And, you, you know, the, the romance of football, obviously, maybe there's something... That Gerard could uh, do Liverpool a favour there, so yeah, I'm not going to say it's uh, it's over, but yeah, the odds suggest uh, City one to ten to to win the league now. Um, that exact that should be essentially what goes to, goes on to happen. But you know, as we saw, as 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 Matt mentioned in the Champions League on Wednesday night, it's it's not over until it's the final whistle essentially. So lots of twists and turns, but um, I still think it's, uh, it's been a fascinating season in, in terms of the title race. And um, yeah, for the, for the neutral, it's been, it's been a good watch in terms of this match. Um, Villa under Gerrard, in my mind, kind of surprising, especially you consider that they sacked Dean Smith in sort of mid table mediocrity, if you like. And then they, the investment in January of bringing in, uh, Coutinho and Luca Dean to go alongside the investment they made in the summer of bringing in Danny Ings and Buendia. Surprisingly, Villa have lost more games under Gerard than they've won. And, you know, I'm, I didn't envisage that when he came in. Don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating any change of manager or anything. And long term, I do think it was a good job. But yeah, I was surprised that they've they've won 10, drawn 3 and lost 11. We thought Uh, they'd be a bit tighter, didn't we? Didn't we think that Gerrard was going to come in and make them tougher to beat and maybe not as exciting as they have been in some games? But we thought he was going to have a bit of a kind of, you know, stability boost, really. And we just haven't seen that. Uh, yeah, I think maybe hamstrung slightly by the fact that if you want to maybe play on the front foot, the defenders available aren't the ones to do that because they don't aren't very good at defending. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that fair? Um, yeah, they're, they're, well, a lot of Villa fans would tell you that. That that certainly seems to be what they feel that the like, hasn't been good enough. 
Yeah, like I guess in the sort of the modern day football of playing on the front foot, the, the sort of template that City and Liverpool play, you need defenders that are comfortable in one on one situations. And I don't think the likes of Tyrone Mings and, and Matty Cash, for example, are comfortable in that situation. So maybe that's that's the reason they can, and they need to address that in the summer, perhaps with it with either investment or or training. But I would imagine you know you need to upgrade some of those players. Um, but in, in terms, of, you know, Villa's record, talking about that record under Gerrard, but the record of against the top eight makes a really poor reading. So they've had eight matches against the top eight, 1-0, drawn one, lost seven, scored six and conceded 17. So not massively like problematic, but they just they just lose these games, really. Um, so they're averaging 2.88 goals per game. Um, and it, But the expected goals is slightly below that, 2.65, which is kind of driven by Villa, the lack of chances basically Villa are creating in these types of games, the averaging less than one expected goal per game, which, you know, is understandable against better teams. But, you know, we are still including the likes of Man United, Wolves and West Ham, which you would think that Villa, that's kind of Villa's aim really to be on a par with those sorts of teams. And I think they should be with their players. So, yeah, I'd say a little bit of underperformance, really. Um, and I kind of see the game against Liverpool. Liverpool are two to five favourites. kind of see the game playing out similar to the reverse fixture at Anfield where Liverpool had 62% possession and had 20 shots to Villa's four. And given the fact that 21 of Liverpool's 25 victories this season have seen under 4.5 goals, I'm looking at Liverpool to win an under 4.5 goals at 7-10. to 10. I think it's quite a nice boost up from 2-5. to five. The four other victories that were, went over 4.5 were against Leeds, Watford, Everton and United. And they're part of the six worst defences in the league. And I think you've seen a lot recently teams that have played Liverpool have literally sort of I don't want to say part of the bus, but have played the low block kind of thing. And yeah. Liverpool have taken a while to maybe work them out and didn't actually manage to work them out in the end against Tottenham. Albeit, I think you have to give Tottenham a lot of credit for their defensive, uh, a lot of good blocks. Um, and I just, you know, I thought they played really well, actually, in that game yeah, I just Saturday. I just think Antonio Conte is a fantastic coach and, that, and, that's, and that's his style um, you know, worked. Um, he, he's got. He knows how to play that game out. So yeah, I think. I don't think. I think. I don't think it's going to be um, a, a game of. It's only going to be a basketball game essentially. So I think that allows us to combine the the two options of Liverpool winning and under a high total really um, to to get a decent price. The data doctor returns. Jake Oscar Thorpe from InfoGolers crunched the numbers like Rachel Riley and Carol Vorderman combined. Jake Villa, the 7.8 outsiders here. Do you think they've got a chance of causing an upset? Um, I, I don't really know. I think everything Stinch said there was absolutely bang on in terms of like the pattern of the play. Villa's results and, and performances against the better team. Uh, not too much to add really, but I, what I will just say is that, you know, Stinch has narrowed it down to the, the games against the Big Eight, but even if we look across the entire season, um, Villa at home in particular have really struggled to create chances. It's been a real area of weakness, and it's not something that we've seen pick up um, under Gerard either, which is a bit of a surprise uh, given the additions. And yes, they've beaten Norwich and Burnley the last two, but I think uh, particularly Norwich, if you don't beat them at the minute, then I think that says quite a lot about where you are as a team. Um, so I'm not reading too much into those results. And, and Liverpool, they come into into this game with one of the best defences, if not the best defence um, uh, that we've seen in this calendar year in 2022. They, they've kept so many clean sheets. And I know that Spurs Spurs probably laid the blueprint and the plan for what Villa will want to do uh, in this match in terms of 
sitting back and counter-attacking and, and just being really compact. Uh, that's what they did at Anfield, wasn't it? They made it really tough. Liverpool got there in the end, but they did make it quite tough at Anfield. They did, yeah, but um, that was more to do with some wastefulness on Liverpool's part than actual good defending because Liverpool racked up nearly three expected goals, if, if memory serves, uh, to Villa's 0.2, whereas at least Spurs limited Liverpool to just 1.4, which is well below their season average. So, slight contrast in, and obviously there's going to be because there's a, a golf in quality there. Um, but yeah, I was just looking at a slightly bigger price to what Stinch has come up with there. and Liverpool to win to nil, uh, which is around 2.9 on the exchange. Four of the last five, or they've won five of the last six away games of Liverpool. Four of those have come to nil. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to follow a very similar pattern to what we've laid out. It's going to be one-way traffic and it's going to be a very controlled um, controlled game for Liverpool because ultimately, they, you know, let's not forget they've got an FA Cup final at the weekend. They'll all want to overexpend. Um, they are still in this title race. So I'm, I'm expecting a, a sort of more of a, a, con- a controlled victory than a, than a sort of smash and a bang and a, a, and a wallop. So... Very, very, <laughs> very, very comfortable one nil, two nil. So, which obviously would see Stinch's bet land also. Who doesn't want a smash, a bang, and a wallop in midweek? <laughs> now we know That's it's some pantomime stuff. That. <laughs> That's a t-shirt in the making, I think. Uh, now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So, Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. To the relegation battle, then, Leeds tumbled into the drop zone on Sunday as they lost at Arsenal and Everton won at Leicester. Leeds faced Chelsea at Ellen Road and stinched the temptation is to think that Chelsea... I've got an eye on the FA Cup final, but actually, they're not certain of making the Champions League. Arsenal are just behind them, and Tottenham, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they could catch them. Yep, definitely, and I think we touched upon it in the last couple of podcasts that I thought Chelsea are worth a lay in the, the top four market. Not so much for what's going on on the pitch, more so off the pitch, but yeah, obviously that is also factored into the price as well. So yeah, I think crucial really, because I think Chelsea want to have some momentum going into the, the FA Cup final. You know, they've not been playing that well or the, the best of their ability uh, of late. So I don't think it's a case of um, yeah that they'll have uh, they'll have one eye obviously on the final, but it's it's important that they they do actually uh, win this game to to cement this top four position. And I imagine it's not in the contract of the potential investor, but you know he's buying the club on the almost the promise that it will be Champions League next season. Because I imagine the finances are massively different if they don't make the Champions League final, yeah, and thus yeah. and thus the overall value of the club. So yeah, I don't expect them to to essentially you know give up in this match. I do expect them to try and win the game. I mean they're eight to thirteen, which. I think looks a bit high, but I think you can kind of accept that given what we said with maybe having one eye elsewhere and, and also the, the volatility of their performances. But in terms of leads, wow, that you, the game against Arsenal, they just they just ask for trouble, don't they, when they play top sides? They literally just say, right, how many do you want to score against us? They, they might as well just like save their energy because they haven't got any energy anyway because they've been ridiculously run ragged or in training all season. They might as well just say, right, we'll take the 3-0 win and we'll just prepare for the next game. Don't, but we'll just match simulate it. Run the simulation. <laughs> the old FIFA trick. Yeah, the yeah, just the skip game. the match. Honestly, like watching the game against Arsenal on Sunday and they went 2-0 down after 10 minutes, I was like, right, what odds can I get on 7-0? Um, well, okay. Ailing as well. I mean, what is he doing? It's just madness. I, I, I don't madness. really. 
I mean, we knew when Jesse Marsh came in to replace Marcelo Bielsa, Marsh is not the kind of coach who'll just say, oh, right, we're going to tighten up now and have 1-0 wins and things like that. I mean, it's pretty much the same. And that's partially why he was brought in. But having a different voice hasn't really helped or changed anything. Mm-hmm. And and Rafinha, you know, like, what is he... What, it, it must, players must know nowadays with VAR, like, okay, we know there are still some contentious decisions, but it must know that that, that challenge was abysmal and does, fully deserving of a red card. And once he's been carded, come on, mate, don't make things worse and go down to nine men because their goal difference is awful. That's almost as if they've got one less point now than Burnley and yeah. Everton with yeah. that goal difference. They've conceded the most goals in the league. It's it's horrendous. Um, so, yeah, I was looking at 7-0, but it was only 28-1, to 1, so I swerved it. Um, not that, like, obviously you can say, oh, yeah, but they did, Arsenal didn't score anymore, so your bet was like would have been way off anyway. No, the point stands that, you know, they are a sieve at the back, especially in the, against the big teams. You look at them in the top seven this season, 7-0 and 4-0 defeats v City, 6-0 and 3-0 v Liverpool, 3-2 at Chelsea, 4-1 and 2-1 at Arsenal, 4-0 and 2-1 v Spurs, 5-1 and 4-2 v Man United. That's 81 goals in those 16 games, over five a game, and the majority are against them. And you look at them last season, even with a full squad against the, the big teams, 4-3 v Liverpool, 3-1 v Chelsea, 4-2 v Arsenal, 3-0 v Spurs, 6-2 v United. So it's nothing to be surprised of at all and I assume with Aileen getting red carded that means he's now suspended so that's now uh, Ailing, Bamford, Cooper, Dallas and Forshaw that are going to be missing so yeah I think the the bet is to side with Chelsea it's just how how do you want to side with them as I say like some very bizarre results of late the 4-1 defeat at home to Brentford 4-2 defeat at home to Arsenal the 1-0 defeat at Everton chucking away that 2-0 lead against a Wolves team that have struggled to score of late um, and yeah, that top four is not assured uh, at all. Um, so the bet I was looking at, um, and this was before I really saw the price, I just kind of had an idea of my mind of how, how I wanted, wanted to attack it. And then the price was like, wow, really, really like that price. I'm going to go for Chelsea to win and over 3.5 goals at 3-1. to one. I think that's like a huge boost from that uh, 8 to 13. And given the fact that Leeds, as I say, when they play these big teams, their matches average over five a game. And I'm only asking for four goals. So you could even take it one step further and, and look at maybe over 5.5. Uh, sorry, over 4.5 with a Chelsea win. But you look at games that actually Chelsea have won this season. 12 of their wins have seen Chelsea scored three or more goals. And given the fact that they have been a, bri- a bit brittle at the back and it's likely that Leeds will create a chance at some point, I think you could easily probably see a 3-1 that's the sort of template that I'm thinking and I just think because of the volatility that Chelsea have showed it's it's worth chancing that 8-13 up to to 3-1 it's only 7-4 for over over 3.5 goals and if it is going over 3.5 goals I don't think anyone's backing Leeds to avoid defeat because you imagine that a lot of those goals are going to end up in their net so yeah yeah, that that's that's the angle I like and I'm, I'm really really attracted by the price if only Leeds had scouted the Maltese Amateur League, they'd have picked you up, Stitch, and it could have been a completely different story. But sadly, that was not the case. Mark O'Hare, are you thinking along similar lines here? 
Yeah, very much so. Um, Stinch has been a lot bolder and brasher than I would be. Um, I was looking at Chelsea to win an over one and a half goals at, at 1.8, which I think is absolutely fair enough. Uh, I've stolen most of the points I was going to sort of touch upon, really. But, um, yes, yeah. Stinch! Ailing's <laughs> <laughs> red card does create a, a big, big problem. Um, and I've, it's just literally, as we're recording now, I've just seen Jesse Marsh's comments uh, about how he's going to try and rep- uh, approach the the next couple of games without him, and he says um, it does present us with a dilemma. We have Shackleton, we can play Rafinha, we can also try a centre back outside at fullback. Uh, we have some options, but we're going to have to figure out the best scenario. Now that doesn't sound to me like uh, the best possible options to be playing uh, right back against Chelsea. In, in all honesty, and they are hopeful that Liam Cooper might be back. Uh, I think he was potentially in contention against Arsenal, but they decided to leave him. But they absolutely need Liam Cooper back, otherwise this could be a bit of a horror show, really. And um, I think the only positive I've really got for Leeds is the fact it will be Ellen Road, and we saw against Man City that the crowd really will get behind them, particularly in a an evening game with so much at stake after Everton winning as well. They they realise they do have to be the 12th man, as the Everton supporters have been recently at Goodison Park. And um, that's really about it, really, because uh, as Stitch mentioned, their record against the top six is an abomination, conceding too many goals, conceding too many chances. And um, it's not just this season. It's not just under Jesse Marsh. It's been under Bielsa. It was last season as well. Um, conceding almost 14 shots in the penalty area per game against the big six. Um they conceded nine shots on target at the Emirates at the weekend. I know they had a, a player sent off early doors, but even still, and, and that's not with even mentioning their, their record defending set pieces as well. So very difficult to be positive about Leeds right now. Um, Chelsea rightly criticised for their recent run, um, put their sort of top four position in jeopardy. Really, I still think they'll be absolutely fine, but I thought they played well for the most part against Wolves and Thomas Tuchel quite rightly. Um, outraged really by their, their second half performance there he said um, basically senior players didn't follow the script or, or the game plan really so but I think Chelsea have been much better away from Stamford Bridge um, one of those sort yeah. of quirks really and even if you just look at the raw results 11 wins from 18 away in the league 9 wins from 10 at teams in 10th and below so they tend to get the business done against the, the lesser lights and uh yeah, I mean, for every reason, sort of Stinger's outlined as well. I think Chelsea win this game, uh, but I'll be backing over one and a half goals at 1.8. So uh, basically a Chelsea win by any score level. It's not 1-0. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Jake, I always find Ilan Melier, the Leeds goalkeeper, a really interesting conundrum because I cannot work out if there's a world beater there who's going to be incredible and is going to have learned a hell of a lot from the last couple of seasons or whether he's just not very good. I, I just can't decide. There's this kind of crazy air about him. He does mad things all the time, but occasionally he'll make some amazing save that makes you think, wow, there's going to be a really good goalkeeper in there. I, I just can't work it out. Yeah, I don't think you're on your own with that uh, with that question, Kev. It is a... Um... Uh, like, like, like you said, there is there is a sort of an air of chaos around him uh, at times, but it seems to be like peaks and troughs. He'll have a really good period for five, ten games, and then he'll just have a few really crazy moments in the following ten. Is that because um, he's got no protection, effectively? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's, he's like he's a firing squad every single game, isn't it, when Leeds play? Um, but, you know, it, it is worth noting, just talking about Melier, he's very young, and young goalkeepers do tend to be a little bit more temperamental than uh, more experienced goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, he, he's not he's not the main problem at Leeds. Um, you know, Stinch and, and Mark have already talked about the sort of defensive issues that they've got. And one of the things that we did say when Bielsa was sacked was the timing of the sacking was just really strange. It was really odd. So to sack him after losing to Spurs, United and Liverpool, 
they're the games that they lose anyway. <laughs> if if that was the yeah. case, like five, ten, twelve managers would be sacked every season if you lose those matches. And, but is it because um, of what they had coming up? Is that the theory that they had a run of games that were more winnable, maybe, and they felt they needed a different voice before them? Maybe, but um, you know what 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 we what we do know is from Bielsa's lead is last season and up to when he was sacked this season. Their underlying process against the teams that weren't in that traditional big six was really good. It was top half worthy. They were out creating those teams when they did play them. It was just against the better teams. They were getting found out because the man-to-man system was easily exploited by better players. Um, Marsh has come in and tried to change things. And to be fair to him, their underlying process um, since he's come in has been really good. It's been very solid, mid-table level, uh, even including the results against Man City and Arsenal. Um, so in total, they've, they've generated 1.5 expected goals for per game and, and conceded 1.48. So it's marginally positive over a, it's a nine-game spell that he's been in charge for. Um, so you know, they, they, they are there are some really positive signs, but like like Stinch said, when you're playing against these better teams, it just they just don't seem to be able to contain anybody <laughs> at all. Um, and yeah, I really like both suggestions. I, I think the the three to one that Stinch has put up there is, is an absolute runner. I think that's got a great chance. Um, I always think when you've got a team like Chelsea, who you know could argue you've not got that much to play for, an FA Cup final coming up, but you've still got a big squad of good players that even if it is rotated slightly, they'll want to make a mark. They'll want to improve themselves and try and get into that starting eleven at the weekend in the FA Cup. Um, so I don't think they'll just sort of roll over at all. I think they'll be right up for this. Um, but yeah, as we've said, defensive issues for Chelsea as well. Um, they haven't looked very solid at all for quite a while now. Um, but the attacking side of their data has been very strong. Um, seven Last seven games, 2.1 expected goals, four per game. So they've been creating the chances, um, but the reason they've not been winning the matches is because of the defending at the other end. So I was immediately drawn to both teams to score in this, um, which is around, I think it's around 1.8 on the exchange currently. Uh, yeah, Leeds have got to go for this at some point. I do think they'll create a couple of chances to, uh, against Chelsea, but as we've, we've discussed, they will leave themselves exposed and Chelsea will get chances. So... Just a, a more of a, of a simple one, it, just in case Leeds do do something um, remarkable and get a result with both teams to score, I think will land. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't put anybody off backing either of the other two selections either. Now, the North London derby is always a massive occasion, but it's positively gargantuan this time around because it'll help decide which of these sides will qualify for the Champions League. Of course, they could both qualify, actually, if Chelsea have a complete collapse. Arsenal four points ahead of Tottenham with three sets of matches left. So really feels like a must-win game for Spurs. Mark Mikel Arteta says he's looking forward to the game, the Arsenal boss. Should he be? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course he should. But um, I'm not sure I'll be positive at the end of the match. Um, bit disappointed. I mean, Stinch hinted at it, um, backing or looking to back the 7-0 against Leeds at the weekend. But considering how they started against Leeds and how they finished the game, it was a bit underwhelming. And I know they might have attention elsewhere. They nearly they drew. They did, yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, for someone who was on Arsenal minus one Asian handicap, it was particularly frustrating. But um, yeah, goal difference could be a key part of this um, top four battle as well. So you felt like it might be a missed opportunity for Arsenal. Um, and then you compare it with Spurs, who come into it positively, positively kind of buoyant, really, I guess, after their performance at, at Anfield, a cracking game. And I thought they survived that early onslaught pretty well, grew into the game and then provided plenty of problems in counterattacks and tradition uh, and tra- transitions and obviously defended pretty stoutly too in the second half when Liverpool pressed. But um, yeah, I mean, North London derbies tend to be quite fun affairs. 17 of the last 21 in the Premier League 
uh, featured both teams scoring. 13 of those went over two and a half goals. Wouldn't be too surprised if there was goals on the menu again. Um, we will see a much different Tottenham here. I thought Jurgen Klopp was pretty childish in his criticism of their approach at Anfield, but they'll be front foot here. Obviously, the, the way in which the match is set up, Spurs have to be attack-minded. They have to be front foot. They are the chasers. Um, and they've got a good record in this fixture at home in recent years. Five wins and seven unbeaten in their last seven at home to Arsenal. So it has been a fixture where the home team has tended to conquer in recent years. And I know Arsenal went at Chelsea not so long ago, but um, still, um, I think we all probably have a, a few doubts about Arsenal when they do go away to the big teams traditionally on the road. They do look a bit more fragile. Uh, and even so, I've been quite impressed with how they've reacted since August and that, and that dreadful start. But if you look at the, the raw numbers, they've still lost seven away games in the Premier League and they've still considered twice or more in eight of those 17 away games. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is kind of one of those fixtures where I've, I've kind of come across a, a couple of bigger prices, but um, it's kind of where I just kind of want to ignore all what's gone before us because I think it is such a sort of one-off scenario, almost a, a shootout really to see who will finish in the top four. And I know Arsenal, sorry, Spurs have to do a lot more to, to actually reel Arsenal in, but even still, the, the atmosphere is going to be Pretty lively, to say the least. Um, everyone knows the importance of this match, big derby. Uh, and I just expect um, quite a, a rampant and, and almost ravenous Tottenham performance here from the first whistle. Um, I think they'll go for Arsenal. I think they'll squeeze them. I think they'll put the pressure on. I think they'll swarm all over them. And I think they've got the ability, uh, much, much more ability in the final third compared to Arsenal. Um, so I was looking at two, potentially splitting my stakes between backing Tottenham, Tottenham, half-time, full-time. At 3.4, I think that's a, a really nice increase on around about 2.2 for Spurs just to win the match if they if they lead at half time. Um, remember, go back to December, they started like a train against Liverpool. Uh, they scored very early doors against uh, Man City away in February as well. Uh, and the other one was Spurs to win and over two and a half goals at two to one as well. So um, potentially um, you know, two positive Spurs angles I'm quite keen to take. Uh, the other one probably won't be too surprising, but... Um, Paul Tierney is the referee. Uh, he's not quite as prolific as his old days, but he's still quite happy to, to sort of hand out some punishment when required. And, and just two obvious picks, um, just to double up really. Um, Granite Xhaka, who is almost guaranteed a, a card in the North London derby. And then you've got Christian Romero playing his first derby as well, who, you know, he's always relishing these occasions. He's going to be right in and amongst it really. So, um, you know, they're not going to get a life-changing price here, but, uh, you know, there's no prices out right now. But if you kind of assume both will be around a two-to-one price, we can double them up and you should be able to get around eight-to-one for that. And, uh, you know, I think if you're looking for, for two players, one from either side to, to be carded, they'd be top of the list and, and for right, you know, obvious reasons, really. So um, not kind of inventing the wheel here, but uh, uh, I think the, if it is around eight-to-one, I think it would be perfectly acceptable to, to get on board. It's been like a set of smutty romance novels, this show. We've had a crash, a bang and a wallop earlier on. We've got you saying rampant <laughs> and ravenous. Lord knows what we'll have next. Dear, oh dear, we have to cool everything down, I think. Uh, Stinch, what's your view on the uh, on the North London derby? And keep it clean, please. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I think the match is there to be attacked if you have an opinion, basically. So, for example, the overs is four to five, under, under two and a half is, is 10 to 11. So you can kind of, um, you know, fit, uh, use 
those odds to kind of fit your own scenario really you can say oh, okay well it's going to be tight and cagey that means the unders is a good bet or you could say well actually Tottenham are going to come at Arsenal as Mark sort of suggests from the first minute and if they score early then the game's going to turn into a basketball match so you could kind of make a good case of both of them uh, in terms of the match odds uh, with, with Spurs being 11 to 10 faves kind of says that uh, you know the motivation factor like Arsenal probably would be happy with the point in the grand scheme of things so you kind of say well yeah the, the motivation's factor in in there so and also i want to back teams that do, are motivated so you know 11 to 10 is a nice prize but then you, you could flip it over and say well actually it's been factored in too much and i think arsenal should you know maybe be like 13 to 10 or something because they're more like level them with arsenal in terms of, sorry spurs should be more like 13 to 10 so the arsenal are more sort of level in terms of ability if you were to remove home advantage so yeah i just think there's a number of different scenarios that you can make a, like a good case for um so yeah i think if you've got a strong opinion then yeah then go ahead and attack it um for, for me i'm it's probably a bit anticlimactic i'm very much on the fence now it is worth noting that we're doing something very special here at betfair for this north london derby get a free bet of up to five pounds when you bet up to five pounds on bet builders for spurs versus arsenal up to a £5 free bet, minimum combined odds of 1.5. It excludes cashed out bet builders, T's and C's apply. There are some big games in Europe as well. It's the Coppa Italia final between blue chip sides Juventus and Inter. Juve, the 3.45 outsiders here. Worth bearing in mind that it's one-off game at the Stadio Olimpico. It used to be two legs, but it's just the one-off game in the Coppa Italia final these days. Mark, how do you see this one? Because it's interesting, isn't it, getting used to the idea of Juve being outsiders for the league and outsiders in these big games. Normally, they would have been quite heavy favourites, but Inter have moved past them. Yeah, uh, I remember hearing um, when I was a lot younger that football is, is quite a cyclical sport and not to get too sort of downhearted and downbeat by the fact that Man United were dominating back in the in the 90s, really. And at the time, it, it felt quite hard to, to believe that could be the case. And you know, fast forward 20 years and United are scrabbling around to try and finish in the top six and Juventus have been dethroned and you know you just hope that uh, other leagues such as you know Bayern and the Bundesliga do at some point get reeled in because um, it's better for it really and it's nice as you say to see Juventus not kind of odds on favourites to win a tie like this but um, yeah it's a, it's a massive match in Rome and I think the Italian media have been very quick to point out that Max Allegri can no longer beat Andrea Pirlo's points tally as Juventus head coach this season after that Really surprised defeat at Genoa um, on Friday. Um, he went out at the same stage of the Champions League as well as Pirlo. So Pirlo won the Coppa Italia though last year. So there's now big, big pressure on Allegri to deliver here. And um, if he doesn't, it'll be Juventus' first trophyless season in a decade. And uh, as you say, they're, they're outsiders. Uh, perhaps not too surprising really, but there's a growing group of fans who are really discontented with his tactics, his methods, say he's archaic, say he's unsuitable to modern day Serie A football and uh, particularly when you compare Juventus to a, to a team like uh, Inter who have been uh, very much um, sort of front foot playing with a swagger and style, uh, not just uh, under Inzaghi but also with Conte last season. Uh, they survived that scare on Friday against Empoli, um, very much still in the in the battle to retain a Scudetto as well. Uh, probably have the, the more appealing run in domestically too. So, yeah, but they're going to have their eyes on this prize, absolutely. And um, 
Bastoni could be back as well, which is a, a big boost for them. So they could be at full strength coming into this match. So easy to see why they're well favoured. Juventus unlikely to have Locatelli back starting. He might be in the squad, but without him, that midfield just looks so pedestrian and and dull, really. And there's now massive pressure on, on Vlajevic's shoulders as well. He's had quite an underwhelming start since his move. And I know most of the criticism is aimed at uh, Allegri rather than Vlajevic, but even still... Yeah, there's there's just an undercurrent of um, dissatisfaction really around Juventus at the minute, and it's easy to see why. I know they've kind of improved since the early season, but they are still quite a, a, a dull team to follow, and I think that might be the way in which the final could play out because the league meetings between these two were very tight affairs, one one and one nil, um, and that's largely been the case when these two teams have played the the better teams domestically. Uh, interesting four of six against uh, the top four feature under two and a half goals for Juventus against the top half. Domestically in the league, 13 of 16 have gone under two and a half goals. And I think that's my preferred angle of attack here. Um, seven of the, the last 10 Copper finals have produced a, a maximum of two goals. If you look at the semi finals, three of the four legs involving these two featured under two and a half goals. Obviously, it's never the most enjoyable watch when you're backing under two and a half goals. If you do want to tune in and, and, uh, and watch your bet unfold, but uh, I do think it's the best bet here at uh, around 1.83 on the exchange. Stinch, is that the way you would go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We covered uh, Juve into about a month ago and uh, backed under two and a half goals at a similar price. And it, it finished, uh, was it 1-1, I think? Um, no, into one, sorry, 1-0, one sorry. But uh, yeah, the three meetings this season have been 1-1, one, 1-1 one, 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 and 1-0. One, uh, they also met in the uh, Italian Super Cup. So yeah, fully fully on board with under two and a half goals. Uh, I don't think you really want to be trying to back a, a winner maybe uh Juve uh unbeaten in 24 of the last 26 domestically I think you can kind of give let them off a little bit for Friday because the two goals were like the 87th and 96th minute um and maybe they just had one eye on this game um Inter have recovered quite well after a poor run in March uh they're now in beating a 13 of their last 15 across all competitions um so if you want to side with someone I probably would want to side with Inter but then you always know in your back of your mind Juve have got the potential to to pull out one of those uh one of those victories um and yeah you just look at when the two teams have played like big games this season particularly Juve they've just gone along the same lines in terms of Juve um playing they don't, it's Allegri ball, I think you called it, Kev. You know, it's not aesthetically pleasing often and it doesn't lend itself really to to being successful. I think, well, I, I mean, successful in terms of consistently guaranteeing winning football matches. And I also think... I mean, it has... That's the weird thing, though, Stinch, isn't it? For, for a long time, it was. But you can only take fans with you if it works. And then if it doesn't work, then that's when you're in big trouble, isn't it, really? I think my point was going to be that since he's come back to Juve, a lot of the other clubs have improved. Yes, so they can take them fair. on. That's the likes fair. of the likes of Inter, uh, Milan, Napoli have always been on the coattails, and similarly, that's similar that's happened this season. But yeah, particularly the two Milan clubs, I think they've gone up a level and said, "Look, we're going to stand toe to toe with you, Juve. You can't continue playing in this in this manner and accept that you can cruise to a title." So yeah, I just think uh, template, you know, typical. You know, 
immediately when you think of cup finals, you think of low-scoring games anyway, and then you throw in the fact this is Italy, Catanaccio. I know Catanaccio is no longer that prominent, but I think um, you know it's in it's in the Italian blood. Essentially, you look at Italy in in the Euros, um, in the semi-final and the final, like both low-scoring games. Uh, but yeah, Juve this season: one-one v Atalanta, nil-nil v Milan, one-one v Napoli, one-nil v Atalanta, two-nil Lazio, one-nil Roma, one-one Milan. That's just domestically. You look Champions League: one-one Villarreal, one-nil Chelsea. And then the same for Inter. I know they just beat Milan 3-0 in the Coppa Italia, but previously it was 0-0 v Milan and 1-1 v Milan. Inter in the Champions League as well in big games, uh, lost 1-0 and 2-0 against Real Madrid, lost 2-0 v Liverpool, 1-1-0 v uh, Liverpool. Um, and yeah, Mark's mentioned the fact that nine of the last 13 uh, Coppa Italias have finished under two and a half goals. So yeah, I would have this, uh, I would have this probably like sort of uh, 8-11 maybe. And so we all sort of four to six so I think there is I think you might get a bit bigger than one the 183 Mark mentioned I think they'll once the market forms a bit better I think you'll be able to get a sort of 185 186 something like that so I think there's some juice there and yeah maybe uh, you could also take nil nil at sort of tens and if there's not like uh, if it's tight after the first 15 I'd say that'd be a huge runner and Mark you've got a pick from Switzerland of course you've got a pick from Switzerland <laughs> yeah, uh, Tuesday night. Um, looking forward to this. It's uh, it's young boys against St. Gallen, and look, there's nothing really left to play for for either of these two teams. But I'm just fascinated. <laughs> Sorry, that's the most Marco hair moment ever. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this game. There's nothing to play for. I'm really looking forward to this game in the Swiss Super League. Okay, yeah. It's just it's just down to the betting, Kev, because the prices that's I, what I can't really for. work yeah. it out, and. Um, <laughs> We'll start on Young Boys because David Wagner was was sacked um, towards the start of March. Really, uh, Young Boys suffered two pretty damaging uh, results. Really, it left them fifteen points off the pace at the top, uh, defending their title, and the club moved to to remove him. Really, I thought it was quite premature. Really, Zurich had a an incredible campaign to win the title, and they just struggled to to compete. Really, alongside the Champions League, where I thought they played reasonably well considering the Young Boys burn in the Champions League. Um, only Villarreal really kind of put them to, to bed comfortably. So uh, since he's gone, uh, Matteo Veneta has been stepping up as uh, kind of interim coach. Um, but only two Super League clubs have collected fewer points from young boys uh, since David Wagner left. Um, on Saturday, they lost at Lugano. Um, and now over the last 10 league games, going back to February, they've won just twice, four draws, four defeats. In seven of those 10 games, they've conceded multiple goals. They're 1.55 at home to St. Gallen on Tuesday. It's just far too short, really. Um, they are much better and stronger in Bern, but um, that's a price you've just got to run a mile from, especially because their, their top goal scorer, I think he's got 22 goals, Jordan Siabichu, uh went off injured at the weekend as well, uh, and that's a big, big blow. They're playing St. Gallen, who have been the second best team in the Super League since the winter break. Uh, nine wins, four draws, just two defeats. They scored 39 goals in a 15-game sample. They scored two goals and were in 13 of 15 games. Uh, they were beaten by Zurich at the weekend, but uh, you know most teams are. Uh, they've just been a, a major threat, particularly away from home, where they've scored twice or more in all seven away days this calendar year, including away at Basel and Zurich. So they're averaging around two expected goals in 2022. Um, I fully expect them to get a goal here. They're playing a young boys team with five clean sheets all season, only two clean sheets since October. And they're actually on a run of failing to keep a clean sheet in 14, which is their worst run since 2004. Um, also for young boys, you know, they're going to finish in the top three. They're guaranteed to basically get a, a qualification place for the Conference League. There's, there isn't much left for them to play for, really. So it's 15 to 8 on St. Gallen to score twice 
this midweek. And you know, I think that's a, a reasonable runner. But uh, I'm going to be a bit more adventurous actually because there's seven to one available on St. Gallen to win and both teams to score. Um, so for all young boys' issues, they failed to score once at home all season. They do produce the highest expected goals output at home this season in the Super League. 13 of the last 14 games have featured both teams scoring and the three results between these two teams have ended 3-3, a 3-1 St. Gallen win and a 2-1 young boys win. That was way back in the, the autumn, really. So uh, the two teams have just gone flip-flop um, in 2022 and I think uh, St. Gallen are being massively underrated here. Picture the scene in the O'Hare household. Mark, could you come and help change this nappy? No, it's Swiss Super League. I have to <laughs> I have to watch young boys of burn against Zang Gallen. It's quite now accurate, it's, Kev, it's quite accurate. Yeah, I thought it might be. I thought it might be. Uh, now it's time for the world famous podcast treble, a feature so famous that the inspiration for Shakespeare's use of the number three uh, in Macbeth was actually from him picking up a fortune from a successful treble involving Verona, Milan and Stratford-upon-Avon many years ago. Uh, We were one Newcastle goal, by the way, from landing back-to-back 11s, two winners at the weekend. Yes, Chris Wood, I'm looking at you, so let's hope to bounce back. How it works is the guys all come up with a selection each from the midweek action and our lovely traders wrap those up in a boosted treble. I will start with Jake. Yeah, sorry for the radio silence earlier. I had a bit of a schoolboy and plugged the laptop in. Absolute nightmare. So I didn't get to talk about Classic. Tottenham Arsenal, but I will talk about it here because I'm going to throw both teams to score into the treble. Um, I think I think we're expecting quite an open game. I think there'll be plenty of chances at either end. Spurs are going to have to go for it. Arsenal, they look vulnerable defensively. Given you know, if they play against any good team or a team with 10 men who are also really bad, um, and yeah, I, I fully expect uh, but, uh, quite a lot of chances at either end. I think what Arsenal did at Chelsea is a good marker as to what we can expect here in terms of them sort of sitting back and really trying to use the pace on the counter attack and basically try and do what Spurs have done to, to many teams uh, better than them over the years. So, um, fully expecting quite a few chances, and and, and yeah, both teams to score. I thought it was around four to five, so just drop that in there. What I love as well is that we covered Jake's absence beautifully there. There was no need to mention the fact that he disappeared at all, uh, but he outed himself as an amateur that didn't plug in the laptop. So there was no need for him to do that, but he's come clean anyway. Uh, (laughs) You've fallen into the trap. Uh, Stinch, I'm going to go with you. Uh, I'll go last. Mark, you can go second. Oh, okay. Okay, he's he's played that card, has he? Okay, so Mark O'Hare, the stage is yours, whether you want it or not. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, Chelsea to win at Leeds, please, for all the reasons we've already outlined. It's like it's like a game show, this part of the show. I very much enjoy it. And Stinch, the final selection is yours. Uh, Man City are easily going to win, aren't they? No pressure at all, so I'll throw Man City in the treble. Okay, so that is what we're going for. And that's all we have time for, sadly, on this special midweek edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, ahead of the midweek action, every single Premier League game gets its own dedicated preview on betting.betfair.com. We've got loads of other action from the other leagues as well and other sports too. Some great golf stuff on there. Loads of good racing content as well. That's all on betting.betfair.com. So from Jake, from Mark, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.